welcome to this episode of The Red Cube that looks to explore all topics around workplace culture and employee experience. We are delighted to be joined by a good friend of Great Place to Work for many years, uh, the People Success Director from Version 1, Jarlett Dooley. Jarlett, you're very welcome. Thank you, Carl, and delighted to be here and delighted to be called a friend of The Great Place to Work. Um, Jarlett, how... Um, how are you? How are you getting on with lockdown? Um, you know, sometimes you, uh, when you're answering this question, you're conscious that a lot of people are really struggling with it. I think I've been very fortunate to work in an industry that's doing well through lockdown, and that's the IT industry. Um, and I think very fortunate to work in a company like Version One that you know has invested so much in the great place to work over the years, which meant we were probably well well able to cope with what it threw at us and you know, the fact we, we made the best workplace list again this year shows we did something right through COVID so in, in terms of work uh, it's been generally a positive experience and obviously outside of that just trying to find ways to keep myself occupied and in a world where there isn't much for our variety in terms of what you can do uh, as I said I just think I'm very lucky with, with where I am. Yeah, and no, it's interesting, Jarla, context is everything, right? So, so in a way, we're so lucky to have um, work to be doing and to be talking about and uh, conscious of, of a lot of pressures that different, different industries are, are under. Jarla, I think a great place to sort of start would be uh, if you could give our listeners a sense as to your own career journey to date and, and as well, um, Version 1, an exciting organization. It'd be great for our listeners to learn more about who Version 1 are. Yeah, I, I, I won't go on too long on it, but I, I will kind of go back to when I was in college and, and that's a long time ago. But, you know, what caught me was that uh, the vast majority of people moaned about work and, and the companies they worked for. And, you know, at, at that time, work seemed like a sentence rather than a, a choice. And, and it was very much external to, to living. You know, you, you lived outside of work and you kind of numbed yourself through work. So... I think that's why I chose HR as the field to specialize in and, you know, in, in a hope and a bid to, to try and change this and create cultures where work was something people actually enjoyed and got much more from the, than just a paycheck. And I, I think my early years in banking and American multinational, you know, taught me that it's hard to change these ones. They're, they're just too big and set in their way. So I opted for early stage, high growth Irish IT companies and, Version one is my third one of these, and I joined it 13 years ago. The reason I joined it, and it was a no-brainer, was because the, the CEO, current CEO, Tom O'Connor, and the founders at the time believed that in order to get to the next level of growth, they needed to put people center of their strategy. And they were very strong on operations and customers and profitability. They brought me in to, to kind of balance that out on the people side. And we were about 120 people back then. And today we are over 1,400. So I like to think that it was a good decision by them at the time and that that people's strategy has been uh, central to that growth. You know, one thing I've always looked to do in my career is to move outside of HR. So HR has always been the, the central role and my passion. But I've also been responsible for marketing, IT, business systems, premises and and in version one acquisitions is a part of our growth. So I lead the integration side as well. And I think that's really important because HR should understand the business in its entirety 
I think too many HRDs I meet don't step outside their comfort zone and take on other aspects of the business. And, and I think this limits their impact and influence on the business. So while my passion is HR and within that building great cultures, you know, I've always made sure I've kept my hand in other parts of the business so I fully understand it. So a broad, broad range of experience across all functions uh, of the business, Charlotte, which, which, which allows a better command of the, 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 the people role, I'm sure, as well. One thing that always fascinated me, Charlotte, from our early conversations was um, the strategic approach that version one and you uh, have always taken to your people and your culture. How do you, um, how do you go about building that HR strategy or that people strategy? I think I, I sort of alluded to in the last question that the, you know, the, the first strategic HR decision was to put people on an equal footing to other aspects of the business strategy. <clears throat> that was the decision to bring me in at the time. And what came out of that was our strategic triangle, which is an equilateral triangle of customers, people, and organizational strength. And those who are familiar with our logo will now understand why it is a triangle because our brand, that triangle represents how we operate the business. So once you put your people strategy on that level, it just follows that all things people become strategic. And a key decision you know, was to build a culture that would attract the best talent as we grew and a framework and a measure of this we decided would be the, the great place to work framework. We decided that 13 years ago, it took us three years to make it to the, to the list for the first time. You know, here we are 10 years in a row later. And key to that was understanding what made us successful, what made us different. The result of that was documenting, you know, what we call the V1 difference, essentially the, the DNA version one. And in that, our core values emerge very strongly. Our balanced approach to customers, people, and creating a strong organization that strategic triangle I spoke about our mission of making a difference to our customers businesses so this understanding really underpinned all our HR strategy over the years you know in my, in my view it was essential element in building a sustainable growth business like we've done so I think that foundation made it easy to layer on specific HR strategies as we went along over the years Brilliant, yeah. So that's strong strategic intent from the from the beginning. From the get, yeah. And and Gerald, you touched upon their um you you know, just over a hundred employees to fourteen hundred employees and acquisitions being part of the strategic growth of the business. Um how do you um how do you sort of do you have any checks in place in terms of um ensuring that you're protecting and building the culture as you grow and scale so fast? People talk a lot about culture, but my own experience, I, I don't see that much in terms of designing their ways of working around their culture. And, and very often, the state of culture and the ways of working are very different. We built all of our HR strategy around underpinning and nurturing our culture. So, for example, when you're growing fast, hiring is, is critically important. So we ensured that we put in place the measures to both attract and hire the right people to fit our culture. We introduced the core values into the hiring process right back at the, the employer brand and then right through the, the selection process. Our performance management reflects our culture of drive and 
it, we were very early adopters of quarterly conversations or quarterly reviews as, as others call them and quarterly objectives. Our no ego core value is reflected in not only in office design, but in our org structure and our leadership style. Our excellence core value is evident in our rewards and recognition programs we run internally. You know, our honesty and integrity core value underpins the design of our open communications approach. And then that, that balanced approach I talked about of customers and people and, and strong organization is reflected in our org design where we've taken a 1,400-person organization and divided it roughly into 35 mini self-directed triangles, 35 teams who are completely responsible for managing and improving the customer, people, and strong organization sides of their own areas. You know, and, and we probably touched on things like trust and empowerment later, but you know, they were the key foundation blocks to be able to have those self-directed teams. So it's by building your culture into what you do every day and every quarter and measuring the results against that. That's, that's the check for me. I have to ask, the, the no ego value, uh, talk to me a bit more about, about that value. Yeah, and, and I think there is a book by Ryan Holiday called Ego is the Enemy, and we've seen it in many organizations and many establishments where ego has, has actually destroyed them. And often it's just put down to ego at the top, but it's actually ego in the culture. So no ego is basically about keeping yourself grounded you know, inverting the I team and company where it becomes actually customer company team and then I. So you're always looking to what your customer needs. You're looking to what's right for the company. You're looking to what's best for your team and then what's best for you. And I think that no ego value is what has really engendered the, the family feel and we're all in this together and no one is better or above anybody else. And that's when I say it was reflected in terms of office design, org structure, leadership style. So there would have been no difference in benefits for the execs, managers, uh, people. We all sat at the same type of desks. If, if you've booked a meeting room and the CEO is in the room two minutes over his schedule, you can go in and say, time to get out, I've just booked. So it's, it's right in everything we do. It's probably one where external senior hires have probably struggled the most uh, where, where people haven't uh, stayed with version one at that level. Very often it, it may be down to coming from organizations where that element of ego was there. I think it's, I think all the core values are equally important, but I actually have always placed a great emphasis on the no ego value because I think it's what is the foundation of something we touch on later of, of psychological safety at work. And it's, I think it's, it's been a key difference for us. And, and Charlotte, on, on, on a webinar last year, you joined us on a webinar last year, and uh, you said one thing that really interested me. You, you, you said that the positioning almost of the culture in version one is about building a great place to work, not an easy place to work. What, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? Again, this, this is linked to our core values, and, and three of them, yeah, three of them that, that come out in this way is excellence, drive, and personal commitment. And if you think about them, they're not easy to live every day. Excellence is, is something you, you strive for and, and seldom achieve, but you, you just have to, whether it's in sport or, or business or personal life, it's something you strive to do, but it's hard to hit every day. You know, we, as you 
said we've grown from just over 100 to, to 1400 people that takes a lot of drive and, and what personal commitment means is you will do what you say you'll do to the quality you said you'd do it in the time you said you'd do it and again you know you're held to account on that so those are are, are high values to live up to on top of this financial performance is, is, is not enough because we have that equilateral triangle. So we look for equal performance on the customer and the people side uh, as seen in our, our 10 years of best workplace record. And then on top of this is, is that growth ambition. Um, when you put all that together, you know, none of these come easy. and They provide a constant challenge and they require huge amount of passion and energy and drive to achieve. So for people who want to be challenged, and to be their best and to develop their potential, it's a great place to work, but it isn't going to be easy. You know, but then that type of person doesn't want it easy. And I, I felt it was very important we put that into our employer brand because if you're going to be hiring two, three, four hundred people a year, you want to be getting your message to the people that you want to attract. So it's not about volume of applications, it's about attracting the right people in. And we know the type of person that's successful in version one, and it's the people with whom that resonates. So I think it's been a very powerful aid to our employer brand in terms of attracting the right people. Yeah, and, and there's an authenticity to the employer brand around that where, where people aren't, there's no shocks for people. They understand um, what's coming their way. They know version one is a place that absolutely will build the right environment for them to be at their best. Um, but there's also a performance element there as well, Jarlot. Jarlot, I know you have a lots of uh, people managers. Um, and, and as we know, often somebody's uh, experience with work is dependent on the, the people manager that they report into. Um, Absolutely. And like every organization, right, we all have a mix of people managers in terms of ability and capability. Any specific approaches you have around supporting your people managers to be at their best for their teams? You know, I think one of the things that's common in organizations is promoting the high performing hero types into leadership roles. And um, we did that ourselves in, in, in for many years. And as we started to scale, once we understood that DNA of version one, we built a leadership program around it called Strength and Balance. And that is teaching our leaders about what the levers are, how, how we operate on each one, how the core values are the foundation of, of everything. Where we've been moving to is from excellent business managers who focus on task plans organization results uh, to a more balanced leader that you know still does that but is more empathetic is encouraging creativity and ideation that is empowering their people to take risks and to to push the boat out and that has as well as the head is also leading with the heart so that is our strength and balance program that you know, has helped us promote, you know, almost exclusively from within. So we now have leaders who are embedded in our culture, who thoroughly understand it, and then have been given the tools and the coaching around balanced leadership. And, you know, it's something this year we, we will be investing quite a lot in because the, the growth trajectory looks that it's going to continue and we need a lot more leaders. So it's, it's, it's a core part of, I think, the success of having those self-directed teams is having that strength and balance program and promoting from within. And Gerald, I'm fascinated by um, things 
that don't work as well, right? So as we know, right, we introduce practices and sometimes they work and sometimes they, they, they don't work. Any example of a practice that uh, has been introduced in version one on the people side that um, perhaps didn't work as well as, as you had hoped? Yeah, we, we all like to forget our failures. Good question. Um, anything that's ad hoc or unplanned or sporadic is probably not going to work. So the ones that have worked are the ones that we put the most considered thought into and that were more linked to, dis to the strategy. Um, I think, our, you know, we had very good flexibility in our policies, um, you know, but while we had flex policies, we were still of an, an office-based mindset and, and fixed ways of working. And, and COVID taught us that. Things we had done, again, maybe ad hoc or sporadic in, in relation to flexibility, laid the foundation for being able to adapt quickly to COVID, but certainly wasn't as good as we thought it was. I think anything we did which was superficial um, and wasn't authentic to our culture and authentic to our strategy didn't work. And anything that was core to it was hugely successful. Great. And it's, it's back to that piece at the start, Charles, which is, um, you know, the importance of taking a strategic approach to the, to, to the initiatives that we look at and, and speaking about practices that, that do work. Um, we were fascinated and great place to work by the practice, uh, the shadow board loved reading all about it. Um, for our listeners, Charlotte, uh, you might, uh, let them in on what the shadow board practice was. Yeah. And, and when first mooted, it was one of those mad ideas that you said, you know what, there's something in this, but the shadow board is basically, and, and, and I don't want to just link it to diversity, although there is a strong link there, but it was saying, okay, we have a number of senior leaders who are of a, a certain age profile and tenure in the business. The, the risk of group think and the risk of fixed mindset is obvious and real when, when you have that tenure together and you're all of that common age group and even you know, one primary gender. So what we said was we put together a group of younger people, not long in the business, under the age of 30, that was balanced and mixed from across the business and gender balanced and, and always balanced. And that would be a shadow board that would work with our corporate board. So you know, we didn't at the time anticipate COVID when we put it in place. And it was, you know, a brilliant sounding board in terms of seeking their opinion on everything from remote working and how we could make that better to right up to saying to them, okay, we want to protect everybody in the business. We want to protect the strong organization side. So we're not going to pay profit share. We're thinking of not paying profit share this quarter just keeping that fund in reserve in case times get tougher. What do you think of that? And getting their feedback on, you know, and they would come back and say, anything you can do to protect jobs is the right thing to do. And here's other costs you can cut. It's, it's not, it wasn't just a lip service group we created that we communicated, this is what the business is doing to. It was an equal sounding board where we told them what, what we were thinking, what we were going and got their feedback. And then that fed into how we communicated with people. It changed some of the decisions we made and helped us greatly with that transition to digital because most of these guys and girls are of that digital era. And, um, you know, we're able to, to uh, help some of those dinosaurs 
see how easy it could be. Um, and so it's been fantastic. I've seen the growth in these people. It's almost back to my earlier point of, of me as a HRD getting experienced in marketing and IT and running integrations. All of these people, they've all got an exposure to the business that mightn't get for another five years and an exposure to the full C-suite and board. And they've just grown so much. So, you know, we've had a number of our customers actually come and ask us about it and we're helping them set them up because they see the benefit in it as well. And we, we certainly have, it's been a great success and we're delighted to win that inspiring award for it. So thanks for that. Oh, very, um, very well deserved. What a great demonstration of listening and what a great developmental opportunity for people who Absolutely, yeah. are part of the shadow board. Any example, Gerald, of, of where you posed a topic to the shadow board and you changed tact or went with something different? Or So we work in quarters. So Q2 last year was, you know, we all went in March on remote working and quarter two was the most uncertain quarter. You know, to share with a group of mainly junior staff, the, the thinkings around pay freezes, and not paying profit share, you know, cutting costs, you know, it took a lot of trust on behalf of the senior team because that could have resulted in a massive rumor machine in the organization, you know, of God, they're going to cut everything. So, um, and then their feedback about, you know, how we, how we handled things like, you know, because at the time, for example, nobody was booking holidays. So how we could encourage people to still book their holidays. So we didn't end up with, 50,000 days holidays at the end of the year, they reassured us that um, not paying the profit share was the right thing to do, but to hold that fund. And if things improve later in the year to pay it, and that's what happened. So we paid it actually in November. So it was a good time for people to get it coming up to Christmas. But, you know, it was, it was their feedback on those very sensitive issues at the time that shaped our thinking. Super demonstration of trust and, 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 and putting a meaty topic uh, to the to the shadow board is is is, is so good to see. Jared, we're almost um, coming to our, our time together. You might indulge me um, for a few minutes. Just we we like to have a bit of fun and great place to work, as you know. Um, and this is the getting to know Jared a little bit better um, round. So so I might just throw some questions at you, Jared. Whatever you, whatever comes to your head, you might might shout back at me. So. Um, First is uh, for Jarlett Dooley, Netflix or TV? On oh, Netflix, I haven't watched TV in, in two years, I think. Most of the documentaries um, uh, on, on Netflix are, are brilliantly done. Uh, I, don't do the, I don't do the box sets of, of series, um, so the documentaries are it for me. Um, I think I'm on watching Narcos for the fifth time again. All uh, right. For myself. Actually, there's one at the moment on... on um, Entry to Colleges in the US, a brilliant documentary, true story. It's hard to believe it when you watch it, but um, there's a lot in there about ego that people can learn just how, how dangerous it is. So I'd encourage that one. Very good. We must check that out. Um, resources that you, that you would use, Jarlett, in terms of if you're looking for some stimulus around culture or people, any particular resources you like to use? Anything I can, I can read, but, but there is um, uh, one particular and podcast rock show, uh, which is Impact Theory with uh, Tom Bilyeu. And he has some amazing, amazing guests on it that can teach us all a lot about culture, success, getting through hard times, motivation. It's, it's, uh, it's a brilliant show. I find it 
I find it super informative. Great suggestion, Charlotte. Uh, thank you for that. And um, you spoke at the very start, Charlotte, about a, a career history uh, starting off, I think, in, in, in banks and then moving to, to sort of a high growth uh, startup type businesses. Um, any advice that you would have for um, a Charlotte Dooley starting out on his career? Never turn down uh, an opportunity for extra experience would be my, my first advice and linked to that is don't get caught in trying to master your, your comfort zone and a lot of people do try and master the current job they're doing and that, that is important but I would say always have one foot outside the comfort zone that's where the growth comes. Great advice Charlotte. Um, Charlotte we really appreciate your partnership um, over the years and into the future from a great place to work point of view and uh, thank you very much for 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 joining us today um, on Cube. Thank you, Cahill, and the, and the team. It's been, uh, uh, as you said, a partnership over the the thirteen years, and it's it's certainly made a difference to to our business and to and to my job as well. So thank you, guys. Red Cube listeners, thank you very much for joining us today. Please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already done so. And of course, leave us a review and tell us what topics would you like us to cover in the future.